0: Welcome to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself. Feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, Master Certified Life Coach, teacher, and recovering supermom, Tori Henderson. You are listening to the Super Mom Is Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host Tori Henderson, and I have with me today a special guest. I have a super mom, Wendy. Wendy and I have known each other for a long time, and almost I would say throughout the raising of her child. And I brought her with me today to talk about her journey through mothering a special needs child. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you. It's
1: really interesting to be in this position now after so many years of our work together. (laughs) Thanks for inviting me today.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how you have one child and how old they are and kind of where, where you were when you first came to Life Coaching.
1: Okay, so I currently have a 22-year-old daughter who is on the spectrum, and um, she was diagnosed when she was maybe, I guess, five years old and has been through many different diagnoses. It's been a long process, and I came to life coaching with Tori when she became a teenager, I think that's when things got really tough, more tough.
0: <laughs> more tough. I remember because you would call me with, uh, you know, complaining about the issues you were seeing. And in my head, I'm like, this is normal teenage stuff. Like, this is not, you're so used to things being specific to your situation and your child. And then the teenage years hit, and I thought, oh, this is typical but she also had some other challenges. So let's talk a little bit, like what did you find that was most difficult for you? When you look back through your parenting journey, what was hard, the hardest parts? I think the most trying times was when
1: she was super unhappy, socially disconnected, isolating herself. And she felt just a complete loss of motivation for life and as a mom it's really hard i think in her younger years i i was really a bridge i was a bridge for communication for activities for order and um and i was i had enough influence that i could create a sense of positivity and meaningfulness and I could set up play dates for her. But as she got older, that became her job. And that was increasingly more difficult as she grew older. So stepping back was a hard one. But also just witnessing your child have so much grief and so much challenge in surviving in the world. Meanwhile. All the other parents around me are discussing how their kids are thriving and their complaints were not on par with what I was experiencing. So it was very isolating for me, too.
0: Right. Yeah. Isolating for both of you. Mm-hmm. Really starting, I think, in puberty, like.
1: Well, it started early on, I have to admit, because when your child has an eight hour tantrum compared to other three year olds, there's just, No comparison. And even when she was young like that, I spent a lot of time indoors just keeping her from the world Mm -hmm. and holding myself away from those who were going to judge and misunderstand. Because I remember my brother, my own brother, and several members of my family saying, Well, if you just had a man in your life, because I was a single mom at the time, or if you just spanked her, then she wouldn't behave like this. So I, I actually did try to spank her once, and that caused an even bigger meltdown. And just there were no answers, and of course back then we didn't have a lot of information about girls with autism, mm-hmm. and so it was really a pioneering moment for for the. The autism research time and for girls on the spectrum in general. So, right. We've done a lot of things wrong.
0: <laughs> so, you've got this d- daughter who's uh, different than the other kids, it's isolating for you because you can't just go to a park, strike up a conversation with a mom and get that social support of like, oh yeah, it's so hard because your situation was so different. How did you find that support that
1: all moms need? I didn't have support for a long time. It was also my own lack of awareness or courage to seek out others. I just felt so much in shock with the diagnoses and with the process because every week you're going to an IEP or a doctor meeting and you're trying so desperately to research and get on top of the information, but at the same time, trying to maintain your own livelihood lifestyle, it's just, it's overwhelming. So I didn't find a support team until she was in her teen years.
0: Oh, really? Wow. Mm -hmm.
1: I had a, a friend who came with me to meetings and was super helpful. My friends were great, but none of them had children, special needs children. And so Of course, they try to help you and and try to understand, but they can't. So it wasn't until I got into a group of moms who all had special needs children that really transformed. I mean, I, I feel like sometimes I owe my life to them because even now we've been meeting for 12 years, I think it is, and we still meet. And we still have such a great sense of compassion and understanding that other people
0: just can't have. Yeah. And where did you find this group? I found them through NAMI. And NAMI is N-A-M-I, in case people haven't heard of it, right? What does it stand for? Yeah. National Alliance for Mental Illness.
1: It's a grassroots, it's nationwide, but it it functions at a grassroots level with volunteers, so you can get lots of information about mental health services, mental health diagnoses, and it's parent to parent support, or sometimes, you know, people with the mental health issue can get support from others who have other diagnoses.
0: And so you went from the time she was born, I'm sure there were some differences that you noticed early on, maybe around two or three, right?
1: All the earlier.
0: You found the support group at what, how old was she when you found the support group?
1: She was about 13.
0: 13. So we're talking.
1: About- point at which, about So when she hit her teen years, teenage years, she no longer was fitting into the school system. So we had tried special day classes she was too smart for that and we tried um schools that were for ed kids emotionally disturbed and she wasn't fitting into that group of kids again this is 20 or 18 years ago so they didn't have the systems that they have in place now they tried mainstreaming her and that became super overwhelming. So it was failure after failure after failure. And several schools later that um, once she hit that teenage year period, it, it, nothing was working. And so I tried homeschooling her after a stint of home and hospital where random people give you work and you try to support your child to get the work done. And I decided it was much more effective as a teacher. I did homeschooling. That was really hard because I was still teaching my own class.
0: Oh, you were homeschooling while teaching school. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: And so I had to leave my career and I thought it was going to be a temporary thing to take on more of, be more effective. But mm-hmm. what I learned in the homeschooling situation, you think, well, you just take away the world and you'll fix everything because the problem is the world in relationship to your child. But the reality is, your child, well, my child really wanted to be in the world. <laughs> Therein was the problem. She didn't know how to function in the world and connect. So I had taken a problem and almost made it worse, I think, by taking her out. You know, it's perplexing because there was no right answer. And in the end, we tried a private school. We ended up placing her in residential school, which was the best and hardest thing I've ever done. How old was she when you placed her? She was 14, almost 15. Well, she, I think she was like 14. She had her second hospital stay at that point, And we had no other choices. We felt that she wasn't safe. She was just very vulnerable to others. And we were losing her. That's how, how I felt. She yeah. lost herself. So residential it was, and that was its own harrowing experience. It was
0: not all rainbows and unicorns. It was not. I remember. Yeah. yeah, but it was the best fit because why?
1: Well, and I'm glad you point that out. The best you can find, and I think that's one of the most critical things for parents of special needs children is, yeah, we we won't be fixing things for our kids. And that's problem number one. We want to fix it. And we think, oh, just fix this little thing. And then we're back on track. Well, for some, that's true. But for many of us, it's not true. And um, you can only do the best you can in that moment with whatever resources you can find. Yeah. So we found residential and She went through a couple different residential programs before we found finally success. But one thing I've learned and with myself as well is that we can give them the opportunities, but until our kids are ready or until we ourselves are ready, the success isn't going to happen. So you have to have a lot of patience. I wish I would have spent more time looking at understanding the challenges
0: rather than trying to fix problems. Hmm. Like looking at the cause rather than the behavior, like the, what's the underlying yeah, cause? I, mean,
1: I think it's easy to go into backing up a little bit. It's easy to go into defensive mode because how many times did I hear Um, What kind of parenting are you doing at home? And um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of questioning what I was doing to cause it. I actually had a therapist tell me that because I didn't express enough anger, that was why my child was so angry all the time. And, you know, it was heartbreaking to me to hear that. And it, I had to step out of that realm and you meet a lot of unprofessional people along the way, people who say they know, but then after you start working with them, you think there's no way they're not listening to us. They're not seeing us. They're not part of a team. They're trying to do a cookie cutter approach. And my kid was not a going to fit into any of that.
0: Right. I mean, if um, you want to learn how to trust your own instincts, what a great way to do it. (laughs) Surround yourself with people who call themselves professional and give you advice and just over and over and over again, you're like, that's not right. That's not going to work. That doesn't fit. That's they're not listening. Like over and over and over again, you're having to constantly come back to yourself. And trust, even though it's like so hard, but trust that, you know, what's, you know, you know, you know, what's. Well, that pendulum swings from
1: sort of defensive, not able to accept reality. This isn't my life. It's not my child. It's the teacher, you know, all of that to it's all my fault. And these professionals, professionals, I say in quote, who are telling me what, you know, oh, her behavior, she's not on the spectrum. She's far too social and smart for that. That's what they said. Or she's going into the fetal position for an hour to two hours every day because she, she's seeking attention. And I knew as a mom that that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I actually got an ed consultant help me, who was a speech and language pathologist. And, you know, I think part of it was myself opening up to truths, both within myself and, and around me to, to acknowledge what was happening with my child. But I think Once you're open and you start to seek help from those who really want to help you, for me, that was the changing. That's when things started to change. Of course, it didn't make things better right away. It just gave me more of a roadmap to work from.
0: Right. When you're
1: going from the dark,
0: when you're open to like collaboration and you meet Another expert who's willing to collaborate with you. Right. Is that kind of what I'm hearing you saying? Absolutely. And if you're open enough to receive and grow and change perspectives. Where when you were talking before about you blame the teacher, mm-hmm. it's like, is the same thing as the therapist blaming you? Right. It's- shuts down all growth, right? It's either it's her fault or it's all my fault. I'm doing it wrong that nothing good comes from those things. Right. So it sounds like you knew like when to like reject somebody, <laughs> be like, you're not helpful. You're not helping. You're not, you know, right for us. But then there's also a personal growth journey that you had to go on. It sounds like when you found somebody that was willing to grow and collaborate with you, that you were felt comfortable enough to then like open up your perspective. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Yeah. And I think for each parent, we all need to find what fits to our own needs, to what our psychology is and our values. And you need to surround yourself with people who speak your language, but aren't going to be reverberating the same things that you yourself believe in because then you're not going to grow either, you know, but I feel like when I found you Tori, it was definitely the hardest point in, in the process, in the journey, because my daughter had just attempted suicide. I was devastated with just having worked so hard and i think at that point i had adrenal fatigue and i didn't understand it i just felt so i went from being in control <laughs> trying to be in control of things to having zero control cuz when your child goes into the hospital you you just you get almost no information you feel such a lack of I guess, control or lack of where you're heading. Right. It's truly being in the dark. Yeah. And the grief is overwhelming at the same time. I think for me, I had had, sto- I'd stored so much anxiety and I had all the classic signs of PTSD, which many parents do And so I wasn't taking care of myself at that point. So when she went to residential, there was a huge void. It went from being in the midst of the storm on the middle of the ocean in like the worst raft possible with no oars (laughs) (laughs) to just laying on that same raft in the middle of nowhere no ocean waves it was just quiet and th- the whole thing was
0: i look back and i think it's so surreal <laughs> well, you were your brain was in survival mode yeah. the whole time you take a over a decade of survival mode like right? that's what happens when people go to war right their brains in survival mode and then they come home and yeah. it's very difficult that transition you know and that's okay. our ptsd right so you you suppress all the emotions that you would normally have time to feel, you know, if you didn't have a kid that required so much um, nurturing and attention and just energy that you would normally process it along the way. Right. But you didn't have the luxury ability as a single mom. Like there was the support. You couldn't just cry. You couldn't crumble. You couldn't just Throw in the towel and just like take off for a weekend and be but be by yourself, right? So you're in survival mode for all of those years. And then she goes into the hospital, where then you have the way you cope with it, the way a lot of moms cope with this feeling of vulnerability is by taking control. And so then all of a sudden she goes in the hospital, she's 13, you can't manage her social calendar anymore you Know she's fallen down a well, <laughs> she's suicidal, right? Like that you don't have the coping skill that you used all those years of controlling and managing. And so then it was like we had to give your brain the update and say, okay, actually, right now in this moment, all's well. And it's okay to rest and relax. And it was hard. You remember you would go on the um you would be communicating over email with the school, the residential school. It's, you know, almost trying to like parent from afar, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how the brain was like staying engaged. It's like, that's what felt, felt normal to you. And so to relax and just take a break felt really hard and scary. I was like I, it's like vulnerable. It's like One of the greatest
1: lessons you gave me is, looking at my thought patterns and how my actions and my thoughts really reflected each other and how if I wanted to have a different experience that I don't have control over my child or the outcome of her life but I do have control over my thoughts and what I choose to do with my actions and I think about that every day I think, you know, before working with you, Tori, I was very much problem solver, fixer, mom. And I think my identity has really expanded from that in a a much healthier way. (sighs) And I think the mantra that you helped me create was, no matter what happens with my child, I will be okay.
0: But there was a separation, right? It's so easy yeah. to lose yourself in yeah. the process. And it's like, if she's down, I'm down. And if she's yeah. fine, I'm fine. But there's, it's it still so vulnerable. So so just to separate you out and be like, okay, this is her experience and her life journey. And this is my experience and my life journey. And they don't have to be one and the same. That you well, can- it's easy for moms of special
1: needs childs. We children, we say to ourselves, but you don't understand my, my child can't do that. That's too hard or that they need me to help yes. them. And, and that may be true, but it took me a long time to understand that if we don't allow our children to make the mistakes and own their own mistakes, they also won't be able to have successes and own those successes. And, and we're conveying constantly to our children, you need me, you need me. And that becomes a behavioral pattern between them the parent and the child. The child and, and my daughter found this out in her own therapy sessions later of like, oh, well, but I'm doing this because I, I want my mom to, to love me and care for me. And the therapist said, but you don't need to need her in order for that to happen. And we had just been locked in, in this, it started from, I'm sure when she was very young, she had language issues. I recognized that and I became her talking stick, Mm. Um, you know, and I tried to, communicate with the world what she needed and that just moved on to oh now she needs help with this and that and I think still to this day we both struggle with that
0: yeah and I think that's also why it was so easy for you guys to to become enmeshed right is because you stepped into I mean you you have to in order to help your kid you have to be really tuned in to what they, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they need, what's missing. And so I think you did a really excellent job of that, but that's also what makes it challenging to then separate and say, okay, life with my daughter's going to be unpredictable. We can, we can predict the unpredictability. Do you remember that mantra we came up
1: with? Oh,
0: and it's like, no matter what, it's going to be unpredictable. So how do I want to feel about the fact that life with my daughter is unpredictable and just kind of separating out that like, I do have a choice in the emotion I want to be in while this is my reality and that, you know, she's going to need me here and there. So I would love for you to tell me, like when you take, have a mom I mean, a single mom with an extremely special needs child for, say, 13 years, first 13 years of life with very little support, what happens to mom when you are just doing your best in survival mode, trying to stabilize and, you know, get your kid kind of situated and happy? What happens to you?
1: I think just complete deflation. There is no you. Um, I I I just, I think it took every bit of me, which, you know, looking back, I would do it differently now. But I do remember I did a lot of working out because that was the only way for survival. I ran. ah, Running. Um, And I worked because I had to work. And I, I remember when I was first getting divorced, thinking, I don't know how I'm going to make breakfast and get her ready for school and pack lunch and, and do all of that and then come home and unpack and make dinner and get her to bed and all of these things. I, I won't be able to do it, but you do. You do. We humans are, are amazing, we just adapt but the problem is over time you lose a sense of reality in that you forget all these other
0: elements in life that are so important to well-being right it's like your body's still there but your spirit it gets diminished and deflated
1: well in every moment you have you're reading online about well, what is this condition? And what about this medication? What about this expert? Can I take this workshop? What if I just read this book? And you just keep thinking, if I just do a little bit more,
0: it'll all work out. And so if you could go back and do it anything differently, what would you do differently?
1: Well, given what resources I had back then, I think I would trust myself more. I would have not been so focused on the fixing part and more on the understanding part. As I said earlier, I think also being more loving and less worrying. Mm. There's just so much to worry about. and. We don't know what tomorrow will bring for any of us. And so while I am I was listening to other parents talk about prom dates and goals on the hockey field, whatever it was, you know, it's like, I couldn't compare my, my experience with theirs, but I wish I would have found other parents earlier, right?
0: Like all that time you spent researching to try to solve your daughter's problems could have been spent researching support groups for mom. Right. Or, you know, more
1: and less about, well, what will people think of me based on these situations? It was just so far-fetched and people couldn't relate to having a child. Like I had to call a team of people over when she had a meltdown because I, I was not physically safe. People can't
0: relate to that experience. Right. And then that, what, with that tends to come judgment and unsolicited advice and things that aren't very helpful and self judgment though, too. Right. So that sounds like something you would go back and redo is to eliminate the self judgment and I think that's what support does. Like it's yeah. hard, it's easy to judge yourself when you're alone in your house, but when you're around other people who are supportive for you and, and have your back, then it helps you not have that internal dialogue. Definitely. Yeah. How did life coaching help?
1: Life coaching was a lifesaver. <laughs> Honestly, I say that with all my heart, because I don't know how I would have gotten myself out of the hole that I had dug for myself. Um, I think life coaching gave me an opportunity to be alone with myself, having you there and learn some new
0: patterns of behavior that changed my life. You know what the first thing it was? On what. You know what the first thing we coached on was? No. It's interesting because it wasn't parenting. Because probably because you were in that state of like, I don't want judgment and unsolicited advice and I'm just going to like go it alone. You're probably in that state. We coached you on, um, there's this man that I really like and he seems to like me, but I'm too scared to get into a relationship. Yeah. So how, so your daughter was like 12 then?
1: Yeah, somewhere around there.
0: Yeah. And so we coached a couple sessions and you're like,
1: I'm engaged. (laughs) Well, it didn't happen that fast, but yeah. We've been together for 11 years now.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that it wasn't even parenting that you called me for help with. Just you knew you were getting in your own way. And so again, you kind of trusted your instincts. So tell me, you said that the, um, you use the word failure after failure, which is hard to say, but like the, the schools, how many schools do you think your daughter went through? I want to say 12 to 15 in like what eight years.
1: No, in her residential school, she went through one, two, three, four, maybe five, but in schools, I mean, there were many schools throughout her childhood.
0: So, school after school after school, nothing's the right fit. Residential school is the best fit, but she still had to leave one, go to another one for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And you said you finally found a fit and it was successful. Tell me what success looks like. She was happy, she was engaged.
1: She was, she had friends. When we'd go visit her, she had assignments that she was proud of. She had teachers that she connected with. She had a wonderful therapist who she loved and learned from. And she started to talk about owning her issues as opposed to it always being about us. It was her.
0: Nice. And that comes with age too.
1: Yeah. Maturity had a big part of it in it. So that's why I say we can give them opportunities, but until they're ready, they aren't going to necessarily find the success that we hope they'll have.
0: Right. And so you finally find a school that's a good fit for her, right? As she's turning into an adult. Yep. (laughs) So how long was she in this great school? she was there for almost a year and that's what success looks like almost a year of a good school like isn't that amazing you know so then what happens she graduates she becomes too old she's 22 now
1: yeah she ended up coming back doing her senior year and I think you know it's.
0: She's an incredible human being. She came back because of COVID or because of she got too old?
1: This was was way before COVID. This was, what, four four years ago, five Mm -hmm. years ago. She came home. She finished her senior year of school. And then she decided to move back to Utah, where she had gone to residential school. And she started creating her own life and in the last few years she's made leaps and bounds people said to us oh her level of function will only reach such and such and she's really surpassed all expectations she's doing amazing she's independent she's she's got friends she's got a partner she lives with and she's going to school now she works she has her dog in her car, and she's doing amazing.
0: And when she was thirteen, would you ever have imagined
1: that, no. that was
0: where she was? No,
1: I feared that
0: we wouldn't see.
1: She wouldn't see the age of fifteen just because of
0: her despair. Yeah, right. And so I, I wanted to. You know, it's so easy for moms when they're when they're in despair to just futurize and catastrophize and not have a higher vision for their child's future. And so,
1: and when you say that, one of the things that I remember when she first moved out by herself, I kept thinking about the doom and gloom thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I had to change it instead of what if, what if she becomes really depressed and doesn't have any friends? And what if, and what if? I started saying, well, what if she finds the love of her life and they live together and she finds such great companionship? What if she has a best friend that she really connects with? What if, you know, and I, I started to, every time the negative would come up, I would say, but what if this happens?
0: Nice.
1: And one of the greatest lessons, another great lesson, I should say that Tori, you gave me was the thought that some of my hardest times in life have been the greatest lessons and treasures and that I wouldn't change that. I wouldn't go back and erase those experiences, those hardships, and that. She needs those things too. And although those may be harder in my eyes and more painful for me to observe, just allowing her to have those experiences is a great gift too. And I see that now. I see that she she's just such an amazing person and other people see that in her too.
0: Right. Wow. That's really amazing. And yeah, cause I can remember, you know, coaching you on the phone and then your daughter would text you during the coaching call and you were like, oh, like all, immediate fight or flight response of like, she needs me. I gotta go. I can't, you know, and like, I would coach you on like, tell her you'll call her back in 15 yeah. minutes. And you're like, oh, I can't do that. Like we we get so hooked, and this like she needs me. I have to jump, you know, and she needs me now, and this like urge it. So it was like, you know, it, that's the social programming that we are supposed to protect our children from negative emotions and negative experiences. Like we think a good mom would never allow their child to be unhappy, to struggle, to want us and not get us. and so it's like rewiring that, like, wait a second here, like, there's actually a lot of good things that have come in my life from my negative experiences, and why would I want to rob my daughter of the ability to overcome those hardships, and then do you feel like, you know, the victories are my victories, you know, the failures are my failures, like that sense of ownership that you said that her therapist is really Helped her with, I think you've really helped her with that too.
1: Well, and for me to learn that
0: was <laughs> step number one. Yes, by letting go and trusting and this should be okay and all that scary, scary stuff for a mama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, any parting words of advice for someone who's still in the trenches, still in survival mode with a special needs kid? I think the most
1: important thing is to have a sense of self and to really, um, hold higher thoughts for your children. Just hang on for the ride, find your supports
0: and, um, reach out to other parents. Yeah. I think other parents are medicine for the soul. Yeah. Yeah. And life coaching is medicine for the brain <laughs> yes, yes. and the spirit too, right? Like so much of it is like bringing your spirit back. Yes. And, you know, just when you started doing, when your daughter went to the residential centers, when you really got back into your art, yes. that was medicine for your soul. Definitely. And you are an amazing and talented artist. And now tell me just before I let you go, tell me what your life is like now. You're an empty nester. But your daughter still needs you on occasion? Yes,
1: she does. I see her about once or twice a week. I get together with her. And it's now I only help her with things that she asks for help with.
0: Well, everybody give her a round of applause.
1: (laughs) It was a hard one to come to. It was. (laughs) And um, it still is. And I really, I spend a lot of time trying or respecting her
0: being herself
1: Mm. as
0: opposed to any kind of judgment instead of thinking about how she should be it's like learning to love and accept her as she is right now today yes 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 yeah it's that love more care less that we have to (laughs) right well, thank you so much, Wendy, for your time. I really appreciate yes. it. It's gonna be really valuable for those exhausted super moms out there that are still in survival mode. Yes. Thank you, Tori. <laughs> thank you. you take care. Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends.